Yo, today's QOD is solitude matters. And for some people, it is the air that they breathe. Here we go. Welcome back to the Quote of the Day show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. I am super excited about today's talk. This talk spoke to my soul. I felt really understood. And here's why. I am the consummate introvert. And most people are very surprised to hear that and find that out. And when you're an introvert, actually, I'll just talk about myself. It doesn't mean that I don't like to be around people. It doesn't mean that I don't like people. Like, I love people. But I can only be around people for so long. So if I go out to the bar, I go to a restaurant, or I go to a party, when I'm around people, after a little while, I start to feel drained. Social experiences tend to make introverts feel drained. So I'm usually the first person to go home. You know, it could be like 10, 10, 30. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go home. Call the Uber, I'm out. People are like, you're leaving already? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, ready to go. Are you sure? What's, what's wrong? Like, there's nothing wrong. I just kind of want to go home. So introverts tend to spend time by themselves to recharge their batteries. So I like to come home, I get in bed, or I get on the couch, or I go outside and I read a book, and I'm perfectly fine being by myself because that's how I get recharged so I can go back out into the world. However, despite the fact that one-third up to one-half of the population are introverts, most people tend to not understand this. And here's what happens. It becomes really annoying. People are always asking, what's wrong? Are you okay? What's wrong? Why are you by yourself? Why are you over here by yourself? Are you okay? Like, there's, there's nothing wrong. I'm totally fine. Like, introverts are totally fine being by themselves. And when you ask what's wrong all the time, the only thing that's wrong is the fact that you're always asking what's wrong. Like, it's okay to be solo. And what Susan talks about here, and I, and I really love this, is the fact that society has been shaped to kind of favor the extroverts. Not in a bad way, but it's forcing introverts to be in these extroverted experiences, and it doesn't work so well. I do my best work when I am by myself, and a third to half of the population is the same way, but when we're told all the time that we have to work in groups and be in teams and all that stuff, oh, it is like excruciating. So we have to learn to respect you know, the different styles of people when it comes to extroversion or ambiversion or introversion. It's so important. But the thing that I really, 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 really want to get across to you is to stop asking introverts what's wrong. We are perfectly fine. Here's Susan. When psychologists look at the lives of the most creative people, what they find are people who um, are very good at exchanging ideas and advancing ideas but who also have a serious streak of introversion in them. And this is because solitude is a crucial ingredient often to creativity. So Darwin, you know, he took long walks alone in the woods and emphatically turned down dinner party invitations. Theodore Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss, 
He dreamed up many of his amazing creations in a lonely bell tower office that he had in the back of his house in La Jolla, California. And he was actually afraid to meet the young children who read his books for fear that they were expecting him to be this kind of jolly Santa Claus-like figure and would be disappointed with his more reserved persona. Steve Wozniak invented the first Apple computer, sitting alone in his cubicle in Hewlett-Packard, where he was working at the time. And he says that he never would have become such an expert in the first place had he not been too introverted to leave the house when he was growing up. Now, of course, this does not mean that we should all stop collaborating. And case in point is Steve Wozniak famously coming together with Steve Jobs to start Apple Computer. But it does mean that solitude matters and that for some people, it is the air that they breathe. And in fact, we have known for centuries about the transcendent power of solitude. It's only recently that we've strangely begun to forget it. If you look at most of the world's major religions, you will find seekers, Moses, Jesus, Buddha, Mohammed, seekers who are going off by themselves, alone, to the wilderness, where they then have profound epiphanies and revelations that they then bring back to the rest of the community. So no wilderness, no revelations. This is no surprise, though, if you look at the insights of contemporary psychology. You know, it turns out that we can't even be in a group of people without instinctively mirroring and mimicking their opinions, even about seemingly personal and visceral things like who you're attracted to. You will start aping the beliefs of the people around you without even realizing that that's what you're doing. And groups famously follow the opinions of the most dominant or charismatic person in the room even though there's zero correlation between being the best talker and having the best ideas. I mean, zero. So, <laughs> you might be following the person with the best ideas, but you might not. And you really want to leave it up to chance. Much better for everybody to go off by themselves, generate their own ideas, freed from the distortions of group dynamics, and then come together as a team to talk them through in a well-managed environment and, and take it from there. Now, if all this is true, then why are we getting it so wrong? Why are we setting up our schools this way and our workplaces? And why are we making introverts feel so guilty about wanting to just go off by themselves some of the time? One answer lies deep in our cultural history. Western societies, and in particular the US, have always favored the man of action over the man of contemplation and man of contemplation. But in, the in America's early days, we, we lived in what historians call a culture of character, where we still, at that point, valued people for their inner selves and their moral rectitude. And if you look at the self-help books from this era, they all had titles with things like character, the grandest thing in the world. And they featured role models like Abraham Lincoln, who was praised for being modest and unassuming. Ralph Waldo Emerson called him a man who does not offend by superiority. But then we hit the 20th century, and we entered a new culture that historians call the culture of personality. You know, what happened is we had evolved from an agricultural economy to a world of big business. And so suddenly people are moving from small towns to the cities. And instead of working alongside people they've known all their lives, now they are having to prove themselves in a crowd of strangers. So quite understandably, qualities like magnetism and charisma suddenly come to seem really important. And sure enough, the self-help books change to meet these new needs. And they start to have names like how to win friends and influence people. And they feature as their role models really great salesmen. So that's the world we're living in today. That's our cultural inheritance. 
Now, none of this is to say that social skills are unimportant. And I'm also not calling for the abolishing of teamwork at all. Um, you know, the same religions who send their sages off to lonely mountaintops also teach us love and trust. And the problems that we are facing today in fields like science and in economics are so vast and so complex that we are going to need armies of people coming together to solve them, working together. But I am saying that the more freedom that we give introverts to be themselves, the more likely that they are to come up with their own unique solutions to these problems. So now, I'd like to share with you what's in my suitcase today. Guess what? Books. <laughs> I have a suitcase full of books. Here's Margaret Atwood, Cat's Eye. Here's a novel by Milan Kundera. And here's The Guide of the Perplexed by Maimonides. But these are not exactly my books. I brought these books with me because they were written by my grandfather's favorite authors. My grandfather was a rabbi, and he was a widower who lived alone in a small apartment in Brooklyn that was my favorite place in the world when I was growing up, partly because it was filled with his very gentle, very courtly presence, and partly because it was filled with books. I mean, literally, every table, every chair in this apartment had yielded its original function to now serve as a surface for swaying stacks of books. Just like the rest of my family, my grandfather's favorite thing to do in the world was to read. But he also loved his congregation, and you could feel this love in the sermons that he gave every week for the 62 years that he was a rabbi. He would take the fruits of each week's reading, and he would weave these intricate tapestries of ancient and humanist thought, and people would come from all over to hear him speak. But here's the thing about my grandfather. Underneath this ceremonial role, he was really modest and really introverted, so much so that when he delivered these sermons, he had trouble making eye contact with the very same congregation that he had been speaking to for 62 years. And even away from the podium, when you called him to say hello, he would often end the conversation prematurely for fear that he was taking up too much of your time. But when he died at the age of 94, the police had to close down the streets of his neighborhood to accommodate the crowd of people who came out to mourn him. And so these days, I try to learn from my grandfather's example in my own way. So I just published a book about introversion, and it took me about seven years to write. And for me, that seven years was like total bliss, because you know, I was reading, I was writing, I was thinking, I was researching. It was my version of my grandfather's hours a day alone in his library. But now, all of a sudden, my job is very different, and my job is to be out here talking about it talking about introversion. <laughs> and that's a lot harder for me, because as honored as I am to be here with all of you right now, this is not my natural milieu. So I prepared for moments like these as best I could. I spent the last year practicing public speaking every chance I could get, and I called this my year of speaking dangerously. <laughs> And that actually helped a lot. But I'll tell you, what helps even more is my sense, my belief, my hope, that when it comes to our attitudes, to introversion and to quiet and to solitude, we truly are poised on the brink of dramatic change. I mean, we are. And so I am going to leave you now with three calls for action for those who share this vision. Number one, 
stop the madness for constant group work. Just stop it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I want to be clear about what I'm saying, because I, I deeply believe our offices should be encouraging uh, casual, chatty, cafe-style types of interactions, you know, the kind where people come together and serendipitously have an exchange of ideas. That is great. That's great for introverts, and it's great for extroverts. But we need much more privacy, much more freedom, much more autonomy at work. School, same thing. We need to be teaching kids to work together, for sure, but we also need to be teaching them how to work on their own. This is especially important for extroverted children, too. They need to work on their own, because that is where deep thought comes from, in part. Okay, number two, go to the wilderness. Be like Buddha. Have your own revelations. I'm not saying that we all have to now go off and build our own cabins in the woods and never talk to each other again. But I am saying that we could all stand to unplug and get inside our own heads a little more often. Number three, take a good look at what's inside your own suitcase and why you put it there. So extroverts, maybe your suitcases are also full of books, or maybe they're full of champagne glasses or skydiving equipment. Whatever it is, I hope you take these things out every chance you get and grace us with your energy and your joy. But introverts, you being you, you probably have the impulse to guard very carefully what's inside your own suitcase, and that's okay. But occasionally, just occasionally, I hope you will open up your suitcases for other people to see, because the world needs you, and it needs the things you carry. So I wish you the best of all possible journeys and the courage to speak softly. Thank you very much. That was Susan Kane. Her website is quietrev.com. She's got an amazing book. It's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. You can find that at your local book reseller at amazon.com as well as my store, qodbooks.com. If you want to watch today's entire talk, it is on the YouTube. There's like another 10 minutes before this clip. It's called The Power of introverts, Susan Kane. I hope you enjoyed that rant that I had at the, at the beginning of the show. You can tell like this really bugs me sometimes, but I just feel like people need to know that we're not all extroverts and introverts are totally fine being the way that they are. That is it for me. I'm gonna see you tomorrow with Marissa Peer. You have an amazing day. I'm out, peace.